I never thought that I could dance professionally. I didn't think I was talented enough. Even at North Carolina School of the Arts and at Atlanta Ballet Summer Program, and later I went on to Idlewild Arts Academy for my sophomore year of high school, I never ever thought I could do this professionally. It just didn't occur to me that that was something that A, people did, or that B, I had the talent for. Welcome to Dance Journal NYC, a podcast about dancers, artists, and performers living and working in New York City. I'm Katie Dorn, and today we're talking with Caitlin Scranton of the Lucinda Childs Dance Company. Caitlin has danced for a variety of different choreographers in her tenure as a professional dancer. If you've been lucky enough to see her on stage, you know that she is a strong and compelling performer. But you might not know that she didn't start dancing until she was 12 or that she moved to New York City, completely unsure if she would dance professionally. My first profound memory of dance was quite early, actually. Brzezhnikov would be doing ballets on television, broadcast live. And I'd watch them with my family, and I would be dancing all around, you know, in the living room, just trying to mimic what he was doing. Of course, I didn't actually start dancing until about 10 years later. Growing up in Iowa, I saw a production of The Snow Queen, and that got me to start dancing. It was magical and beautiful and pure narrative ballet. And the next day, I took ballet class. You just finished seeing the show and were like, mm-hmm. I, I want to do Mom, this. I want to do this. Sign me up for ballet. And I grew up in a very small town, so I was lucky that there was ballet there. Most of it was sort of ballet jazz tap combined, but we found one ballet class. And you just wanted to take ballet. You weren't interested in any other forms of dance. Well, between my Barishnikov early years and my Snow Queen later years, I was I think obsessed is the proper word. I was obsessed with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. And I would watch tap dance movies and musicals constantly without ever having the desire to dance. Uh, So when I saw The Snow Queen, aside from tap, which I weirdly never thought to take, I didn't have any other exposure to dance. Modern dance wasn't on my radar at all. So you're in Iowa. And where in Iowa did you grow up? I grew up in Fairfield, Iowa, which is a very, very small town in the southeast corner of the state. When did you start getting more serious about your training and taking more classes? My ballet teacher suggested to me that I take more classes. Her name was Miss Emma. Um, When I joined, she, I was still playing basketball. I was still playing softball. I was kind of a jock dork. And, you know, I played all the sports. Um, and I only came on Saturday mornings, and she encouraged me to come more often. So slowly but surely, I started doing more dance and less sports. Her encouragement for me was like so special, you know, because she was the mother of the Snow Queen, who I had seen, who inspired you to exactly start so, dancing. Right, right. So that it was very special. And she, as she encouraged me more and more, of course, I just wanted to be in the studio and be around that environment, and it felt really special to me. And then I just, I stopped playing sports. I just, after about a year and a half, I just was fully in ballet every day after school and on the weekends. And because you were older when you started dancing, was that challenging? It was very challenging. It's one of those things I look back on and I think, how the hell did I do that? Because everyone younger than I was 
was so much more proficient. You know, they had so much more training. They had been in this particular school, you know, since they were four or five, and they knew what they were doing. And I was just like tall, kind of gangly, didn't really know what was what. And I just, it just amazes me that I was like, didn't, it didn't bother me. I just came and I worked and... You weren't intimidated at all by I the fact that you were older. And <laughs> that's awesome, I know. though. That's I mean, it made me kind of uncomfortable, but I look back on, although be photos of me at that time or videos, and I just think, oh my God, I was so much worse than everybody. How did I, it's like ignorance is bliss. You know, you just exactly. sort of don't realize it. You have no, at that age, kind of, you know, you're somehow able to not have a sense of yourself and sometimes have a really bad sense of yourself. So I think I was really lucky and that I was just clueless. You are training and doing all of this ballet, and you've stopped doing sports. Mm -hmm. Were you sort of immersing yourself in dance outside of Iowa, like auditioning for summer programs or? My ballet teacher, she encouraged me to do some summer programs. So I auditioned, I think North Carolina School of the Arts was the first one I auditioned for. And I had been dancing for, I think, a year and a half. And I had been on point for maybe six months. And I auditioned for NCSA, and I got in, and I went for the summer. So I must have been 14, maybe. And that was my first you know, exposure to modern dance, even though they only made you take modern dance maybe once a week. You ended up at Idlewild. You ended up going. I did. And what was that like? It was overwhelming. I mean, I went to Idlewild Arts Academy my sophomore year of high school. I came from... A very, very small town. You know, we had 10,000 people in the entire town. My ballet teacher encouraged me to go. My parents encouraged me to go. And I said, yes, sure. Completely thinking, I probably can't do this. I don't know what I'm getting into. But I just sort of, one of those moments in your life where you just say, yes. It couldn't have been more night and day from Iowa. You know, you wake up, you do all your high school studies, and then it's ballet class, jazz class, contemporary class, composition point, modern, you know, whatever, you know, all the stuff that I'd never been exposed to with really, really talented dancers. And I enjoyed it, but it was very, it was a lot. Why did you end up only staying a year? Did you feel perhaps you weren't ready to sort of be that serious about dance? As much as I like to dance, the rigor of the program, you know, just didn't really make sense for what I wanted. And I really felt a call back to a more normal, air quotes, normal home life. Wanted to be with my sisters, wanted to be with my mother. And I felt that that was the right decision for me. Let's talk about college. Mm. So you graduated from Smith with a BA in American history, right? I did, yeah. So did dance sort of take a backseat for a little while for you? It did. Post Idlewild, I think I was on dance overload. I came home to Iowa, and those next two years, I just dabbled in dance. And by the time I went to college, you know, I, I auditioned for Tisch. I you know, auditioned for some conservatories, applied around. But Smith really resonated with me, and I wanted, I specifically wanted to have a degree in something that wasn't dance. I felt if I wanted to dance, I didn't need to study it in college. Why did you feel that? I just felt that dance is a physical practice, you know, and I could, I could take class, I could study it within 
the collegiate environment, but I didn't need a degree in it. I didn't need it to be my main focus. And I like to learn, I like to study, I like to write and read. And I'm not saying that a degree in dance doesn't allow you to do those things, but I wanted a broader spectrum of education. I understand you spent your junior year abroad. Did you miss dance while you were away? By the time I hit my junior year, I was tired of dance, I was tired of college, I was tired of studying, and I just took a year for myself. Um, And I came back really, really missing dance. And it was the moment for me and the year for me to kind of get back into what I loved and realize what I love about dance. And I came back from that year reinvigorated. You graduated from Smith. Luckily, yes, I did. And you, what what did you do next? Did you just ship off to New York City? I did. It, after I graduated from Smith, I just, I had a conversation with one of my ballet teachers there. Uh, Rose Flax, actually, she teaches at Mount Holyoke. And she sat me down and she said, she actually said, you should dance for Mark Morris. Definitely go to New York. You should definitely dance. And I, I said, okay, yeah, maybe I could do that. I don't know. Thinking completely, I can't do that. That's not me. Then I sat down with a different teacher and he said, Roger Bloom is his name, you should go to New York. You should you should definitely dance. And I said, oh, maybe. <laughs> I, and I still just didn't have the confidence to do so. But I didn't have anything else that I loved as much that I wanted to pursue. So I graduated in May and in October, I moved to New York. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what I was going to do. But I rented an apartment and my sister dropped me off. And the day she left, actually, I ran into my uh, next door neighbor from Fairfield who had been living there. And I thought, now I have a friend and now I'm in New York. And it sort of all just worked out from there. Did you give yourself like a plan? Like, hey, if I, if I can't do this after a year, I'm out. Yeah. When I moved here, I really thought I would only be here for a year. Funnily enough, now that I'm sitting here 11 years later, I really didn't know. You know, again, I thought New York seems big. Knowing what I know now about the community and about the city and about surviving in the city and living here and dancing here, you can't get anything done in a year. Hi, everyone. It's Katie here. Dance Journal NYC is supported by Gibney Dance, where I'm often taking some of my favorite ballet classes in the city. You can join the Gibney community this spring for exciting opportunities, including teacher training for dancers, educators, and professionals with Axis Dance Company and making dance creative process workshops. Gibney is also offering savings through a spring break special running March 11th through April 8th. To find out more and stay up to date with the latest news, follow Gibney Dance on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and at gibneydance.org classes. Thanks for listening, and here's the second half of our show. You're here in New York. Mm-hmm. You got an apartment, mm-hmm. which is such a big step. Yep. Because finding that first apartment is really challenging, I think. No, it was, it was hell. So what was that first year like? Did you just sort of pour yourself into pursuing dance? Were you a little like one foot in? Okay, maybe not. And then I'm just going to jump right in. No, there was no jumping in. It was... <laughs> it was more like I got myself here. And good for me. Like, I'm here. <laughs> I was already pretty 
pretty impressed that I'd even just gotten here. Uh, my first year in New York, I worked for the Cunningham Studio. My very dear sister, who's always taken care of me, emailed me a Craigslisting for a job at Cunningham. And Mary Lisa Burns, the director of education, needed an assistant. And I applied and I got the job. And that was great for me because I could be in a dance environment and be around dancers and they offered me free class which I did not take because I was still too intimidated to take class and to really dance so for the first year I just worked there I mean it's so funny to talk about this it's like such a slow process no I I completely relate to that first year experience where you're too nervous to take class because you're unsure and also at the same time you're like I am not good enough to be here right now right yeah no I spent I'm going to say spent, but I could also say wasted, but we're going to go with spent. Spent that year just kind of getting my bearings. Well, and you're at Cunningham. Merce is still alive. Yeah, and Merce he's in the wheeling studio. around. Yeah, no, he and was And all there. those dancers are there in, in company class, mm-hmm. and it's an intense environment. Right, but one of the things that it, that experience really showed me was sort of how accessible the dance world is and these high quality artists and all these seminal artists and incredible dancers, you know, no matter what studio you're studying at, they're all just around, you know, and you really, it's very easy to immerse yourself in that environment and it's very accessible for a young dancer to be part of the community. You're working for Mary Lisa and you end up at Ailey, right? I I did end up at Ailey. After a year, I thought, this is for real now. If I'm going to be here, I'm going to be here. I'm going to try to do this. So I was doing the ALE independent study program, taking ballet class and modern class in the morning. And during that program, I was auditioning around and I ended up getting a job with Ellen Cornfield. So I would go to ballet class and modern class at ALE in the morning and I'd rehearse with Ellen in the afternoon. And was that your first modern dance professional experience with Ellen? That was my first professional dance experience yes you've danced for a lot of people christopher williams you've danced at the met opera ellen cornfield mm-hmm. mark dendy mm-hmm. lucinda childs now i know you auditioned for ellen cornfield and lucinda childs but um did you audition for all of these artists and what were those auditions like i have gotten jobs exclusively from auditions all of the auditions were very different you know the met audition is very It's like a cattle call audition. It's everyone and their mom shows up. You know everybody. You know, you've been there. It's just, you know, a very uh, institutional experience. Christopher Williams, I was, it was more of a one-on-one. Mark Denny, another cattle call. It's quickly learn this material and hope for the best. Lucinda. Mm -hmm. Now, when you auditioned for her, did you know at that moment that was someone that you really felt like you would connect with, that you really wanted to dance with, whose work really resonated with you? I want to say when I auditioned for Lucinda that I had always wanted to dance for her and that I was dying to do so. But unfortunately, it was more, this is a good job. And, you know, aside from dance history class at Smith, I hadn't been very exposed to her work. So I kind of went in blind. But once I got there, aside from the deep stress that I felt in the audition, um, I felt that the work was really, you know, it resonated with me. You kind of really became invested in it. Yeah, I did. Passionate about it. Yeah, it was one of the very few auditions I've ever been to where I thought, I really, really want this job. 
It's inspiring to hear about that moment as a dancer, because I think we all want to have that moment where you're in an audition and you realize this is what I want. Right. This is made for me. Right. What's it like dancing for Lucinda Childs? Sort of like everything I wanted in a dance experience all wrapped up into one. You know, Lucinda comes to the studio knowing exactly what she wants. And for me, that is just heaven sent. She takes her choreography and being in the studio and the process of choreographing and the process of transferring her work and information to a dancer really seriously. And for her, I think that time and space is sacred. I feel that every day in rehearsal and I, I think I thrive in that environment. I know we sort of touched on this a little bit about when you first moved to the city and how you were feeling about yourself in dance. But once you were really invested in pursuing this and studying at Ailey and thinking, okay, I'm here, I'm going to commit myself, did you still doubt yourself? Of course, I still doubted myself. I feel like most of this interview is me talking about how much I doubted myself. <laughs> but, but yeah, and I think that that's a really important thing, actually, that I mean, I look back on it now and, and the amount of doubt that I had, you just have to bust through it. You know, that is what this is, what this job is, what dance is. You know, it is unpredictable and nothing is guaranteed and you could be the best dancer and still not get a job. You could be completely untrained and get all the jobs. No matter how you feel about yourself and no matter how I felt about myself, with all the doubts, the most important thing I could do was just keep showing up. And that was a huge growing and learning experience. Trusting your gut that, you know, you're passionate about something and that you yeah. push forward. And I remember actually feeling really like I had grown when I could go to an audition and be cut and get rejected and, you know, go to another class or go to another audition or go to lunch or, you know, like it wouldn't affect my whole day. It not, would just not be. Take it yeah, it would personally. be. Yeah, it would be more like a job. It wasn't so tied with my self-worth and that was very freeing what's your favorite part about being a dancer in new york city that's easy being part of a community you know that even if you don't get a lot of jobs but going to class having the ritual having the support of other dancers having the support of your you know dance teachers and having a dialogue about this thing that you love whether you're working or not it's just just so important to have that and I was talking to somebody yesterday, actually Michelle Yard, who just retired from Mark Morris, about how the performing is great, the traveling is great, you know, but the in the studio, working with your colleagues, figuring things out, having a relationship with an artist, with a choreographer, all of that behind the scenes time is so fulfilling and so valuable. It's really the community that I value the most. Thanks so much for listening and for joining in on the first season of Dance Journal NYC. We are so grateful to every one of our listeners and are very excited about beginning work on season two. Thank you, Stacey Martirana, Meg Harper, Stuart Singer, and Caitlin Scranton for being so trusting and open and for sharing your beautiful stories. You've inspired me so much and I'm sure our listeners as well. Thank you, Maria Baranova, for letting me get my interviewer stage fright out on you and for letting us use your photography on our website. And thanks to Eben Hoffer for the technical support. All of the episodes you've heard so far were edited by me and Jesse Anders. 
The music, soundscapes, and audio engineering were also done by Jesse. Season one was a lot of work and took many hours to complete, and we are super proud of each episode. If you are inspired by Dance Journal NYC and would like to help out with season two, you can find a link to donate on our website, dancejournal.org. Your donation will help fund the necessary equipment and studio space needed to keep each and every interview sounding great. If you'd like to help out in other ways, please get in touch with me at katie at dancejournal.org. Keep checking dancejournal.org for updates on season two. We are so very excited to keep on talking with amazing dancers, artists, and performers in New York City.